What comes to your mind when you think of Thanksgiving? You think about this. If you all want to respond out loud, that's fine, but I won't be able to hear everything. Good. Somebody said food. That's, that's usually the first thing that comes to my mind. That was you. Good. We're on, the, we're on the same page, man. Football, naps, anything else coming to mind? Family? Good, good. Driving, yeah. Food comes to my mind a lot of times. That might be an unspiritual answer, but man, I like some turkey. It's just it's good stuff. I remember one Thanksgiving in particular. We'd gone to visit my grandparents in Indiana. It was my mom's side of the family. We didn't get to see them as much. Uh, I grew up in North Little Rock, Arkansas. And my uh, dad's parents just lived down the street from us for most of my childhood years. And so we'd spend the most holidays with them. But this year we decided to spend Thanksgiving in Indiana. A little town called Jasper. And I remember thinking I was going to try to eat as much turkey and mashed potatoes and pecan and pumpkin pie as possible. So, I decided that the best way to fill yourself with Thanksgiving food was to try to make sure that your stomach was completely and totally empty before you gorged yourself, right? So I came up with the strategy. Wednesday night before, I wasn't going to eat a whole lot. Just enough, right, so my stomach's not growling while I'm going to sleep. Thursday morning, I wasn't going to eat any breakfast, and we weren't supposed to eat our big Thanksgiving dinner until like 2 that afternoon. I thought, this is, this is going to be great. I woke up in the morning, and people are starting to snack around, you know, eating this and that. A few of them had breakfast, and no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the good stuff, right? But, I mean, you guys know what happens um, with teenage boys, right? Especially that 13 to 17, maybe 19-year-old range. They just eat all the time. And this is kind of the stage of life I was in at 13 years old. So, you know, my plan seemed really wonderful on Wednesday. But, you know, I'm going to bed Wednesday night thinking, all right, maybe I should have eaten a little bit more. I wake up Thursday morning thinking, man, breakfast does sound nice. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. So it comes time Thursday afternoon to eat. And at this point, my belly's just rolling, right? You know how we use this word all the time, especially in our society? I'm starving, right? This is where I was. I was starving. So we're walking through this line down in the basement at Grandma's house. Everybody's fixing their plates, and I just load up a plate full of food. We had way too much food, so much food, not all of us could eat it in like a week, you know? And so... We, I pile this food on my plate. I go to sit down and start eating it. And man, I'm just shoveling food in, you know. About 15, 20 bites in, I go, I don't know if I can, if I can eat all of this. I'm full. And I'm going, man, I hadn't even eaten half of my food yet. I've been waiting like all week for this. I can't eat everything. So I go from being starving and miserable to being stuffed and miserable, right? And I just keep piling food into my mouth. So I eat. Don't finish all the food on my plate, but I eat even past the point where I'm full. You guys know where that is? Yeah. And so I go to sit down. Everybody's watching football on the TV, and I'm thinking, man, I just should have stopped eating. 
why did I do this to myself? You guys ever been at this point? You go from being starving and miserable to being stuffed and miserable. And it's, it's Thanksgiving. You're not supposed to be miserable on Thanksgiving. You're supposed to be thankful, full of good stuff, right? But this is where I found myself. I'm not sure, but I think that this is a lot of times where people find themselves when it comes to an attitude of giving thanks to the Lord. We look forward and anticipate something good that's just around the corner. In fact, we prepare ourselves for it. We're ready. And then when that great and wonderful, joy-filled, celebratory moment comes, we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. And we go from being starving and miserable when it comes to thanks to being stuffed and miserable when it comes to thanks. It's like we go from one extreme to the other. We're not thankful to God in the moment for all of the little things because we're looking forward to the big thing. But when once the big thing comes, it's too big and too overwhelming and too much for us to enjoy. And so we go, yeah, this sounded great, but I don't know. This is a lot now that I look at it. I want you to turn with me today to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. I want to talk to you about this subject today, from empty to thankful. From empty to thankful. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus had been teaching his disciples at the beginning of the chapter. He taught them about what it meant to do God's will and to do His work on this earth. And then he encounters a group of people in verse 11. And he does God's work. Exemplifies for his disciples what it means to live out God's will in his own life. And here's how the story unfolds. While he, Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem... He was passing between Samaria and Galilee, kind of on the border of those two regions. Verse 12 says, as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed of their leprosy, healed no more. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten who were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Stand up 
and go. Your faith has made you well. In this story, what we find is that the one who sees what God has done is the one who is thankful for what God has done. And as the story unfolds, there's really three key turning points that help clue us in to how we see what God has done and how we are thankful for what God has done. Jesus was a very busy guy. I, mean, I don't know if you noticed, but there's always crowds of people flocking around him in the New Testament. There's always someone to teach. There's always an explanation to give his disciples. There's always a miracle to perform. There's always a place to go, somebody to see, somebody to talk to, somebody who's challenging and questioning him. And so this was most likely a normal day for Jesus Christ. And think about what one of his normal days would have been like. Pretty supernatural, isn't it? But he's just on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. Now he's passing through these borderlands between Samaria and Galilee. And as you probably know from reading the New Testament and listening to people preach and teach the Bible, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't exactly get along most of the time. They were of a different race, so they looked different. They were of a different religion in many ways. Sure, there were some Samaritans who said that they worshipped the one true God, but they had their own version of the Pentateuch, and they had a different mountain on which they worshipped God, not Jerusalem. And so they're of a different race, they're of a different religion, and it kind of caused some conflict between these two groups, so much so that Jews wouldn't dare even bother with going into Samaria, much less talking to Samaritans. And Samaritans really didn't want that much to do with Jews. In the Samaritans' eyes, the Jews were snobbish people. They didn't like them. In the Jews' eyes, the Samaritans were backwards and confused people. And they didn't like them. But it's on one of these journeys Jesus takes in these borderlands that he comes to a village. We're not told what side of the border that it's on. But most likely this was a place where Jewish and Samaritan people had some interaction together. In fact, scholars tell us that this village was somewhere about 15 miles south of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth outside of Galilee, or just on the inside of Galilee. And it's at this village that Jesus meets a group of people. Now, this isn't a large crowd coming to hear Jesus teach, and this isn't one person running up to Jesus just asking for someone to heal him. This was ten men. But they were coming to Jesus and trying to keep their distance at the same time. It was kind of this strange encounter. Usually you see people running up to Jesus and trying to get as close to him as possible. But for whatever reason, these people didn't. They stood at a distance, but they still wanted to meet with Jesus and talk to him. And then it occurs to Jesus and his disciples, maybe people are trying to point them out, that these ten people are leprous. They have a disease. 
This disease caused the skin to turn white in blotches and splotches. In fact, many times lepers would be missing digits, fingers, and toes because the disease would eat away at their bodies. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, we find out some interesting prescriptions for what lepers are supposed to do to not spread their disease to others. They're told to wear tattered and torn clothing as a symbol that they are broken people. Also as a symbol that they have disease so people can see them from afar and know that they need to avoid direct contact with them. They were also told to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people would be aware that they didn't need to come around them. But in the midst of their cries of uncleanness, trying to meet Jesus yet keeping their distance from Him, they raised their voices to cry out something different. And they're crying out for Jesus. They're calling His name. And they're addressing Him as Master. Now perhaps, maybe, they had caught word that Jesus was a great healer, a miracle worker. And maybe they knew Jesus could heal us. If we just talked to him and asked him, maybe he could do the same thing for us he's done for so many other people. After all, he'd cast out demons, he'd healed the sick, he'd even raised the dead. Surely he could cleanse us of our leprosy. And so they're crying out, calling out to him, have mercy on us. And you can imagine a normal day for Jesus. He's not just walking down this road by himself. There's people all around him asking him questions and talking to him and trying to get his attention. And these ten men capture his attention and they're asking for mercy. Jesus, we know you're busy, but Jesus, will you look over here for just a moment? Jesus, we know you have a lot going on. There's a lot of people around you. But Jesus, will you have mercy on us? Jesus, we need you. And we're not ashamed or afraid to ask Jesus, have mercy. And I love this little phrase in verse 14. It's kind of the first turning point in the story. It simply says this. When he saw them. When he saw them. Have you ever been walking through the grocery store maybe because your wife forgot something on the list and so you're going back to get it in a hurry so that she can finish dinner at the house and you see somebody in the grocery store but you don't see them anybody ever been there before you know that time when you've really got to be somewhere and you're going to drive through the post office just to drop off a few letters on your way but you see somebody coming out the door of the post office and you make eye contact with them and you just kind of wave, but you keep driving because you got somewhere to be. And you just, you see them, but you don't really see them. You know what I'm talking about? This word saw means that Jesus intentionally looked their direction. When he saw them, he didn't blow them off or brush past them. He looked at them. And we know that he did because then he spoke to them. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. 
Jesus knew exactly what these men were going through. He knew that they were lepers. He knew that they had been outcasts in their village. Their families had tried to avoid contact with them so that they didn't spread and carry this disease. They had been ostracized by society. But yet Jesus took the time to notice them. Is this not a blessing when Jesus looks our way? I want to share something with you. There's a lot of times in life when you feel like you're going through something and nobody else understands or you're in a difficult situation and you feel all alone and all you can do is cry out, Jesus, will you have mercy on me? Let me tell you what happens every time you cry out to Jesus, the Lord of your life. He looks at you. He takes notice and he sees you. Isn't that wonderful and beautiful? It's a turning point for us as we go through the difficulties and the trials and tribulations of life. When Jesus actually gazes our way. And with his piercing and all discerning eye, he sees the situation and he looks within our hearts Dealing with the real problem deep within inside. And for these people, he knew what they needed and he knew what they wanted. They wanted to be cleansed. They wanted to be healed. In fact, we probably don't have all of what they're crying out to him, but all that we're told they say is, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus knows that they're lepers, but he doesn't say, well, what do you want me to do? Without much verbal exchange at all, Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, this would have been something strange and interesting. Because if, if you look back in Leviticus chapter 14, I'm not going to read all these uh, 35 verses to you, but you might want to do this on your own. When lepers thought that they were beginning to be cleared up, Cleansed from this disease, they were commanded to go and to show themselves to the priest who could then pronounce that they were clean. The priest would make a sacrifice on their behalf. The person would be examined over the next week. And then they'd be allowed to come back into society, back in their homes, workplace, and all those kind of things. Jesus simply says, go and show yourselves to the priest. I mean, these ten guys woke up that morning in the same condition that they had been in for who knows how long. They were lepers. Their clothes were still torn. They still had sores all over their bodies. There was no sign that they were getting better. But Jesus says, I want you to go to the priest. So these ten got up and they went. They acted on Jesus' words. Maybe they didn't really understand it at first, but just the prospect, just the hope of being made clean was enough for them to take a step towards the priests. And it says as they were going on the road, they were cleansed. Now this is interesting, isn't it? As they were going... 
they were cleansed. Who could pronounce a person clean from leprosy? The priests. This is where Jesus sent them to the priests so the priests could announce them clean. Yet something happened before they ever got to the priest. The Bible doesn't just say in verse 14 that they were healed. They were. It says that they were cleansed. That they were no longer leprous. They were no longer contagious or could contaminate anyone else or anything else. Could you imagine the conversation between these ten guys on the road? One of them maybe saying something like, Man, I hope this Jesus is all he's cracked up to be. If not, i got a few toes that are about to fall off if we take any more steps. I don't, are we really going to do this? Maybe you got another guy over here going, Look, I don't, I don't think this is going to happen at all, but I might as well come with you guys. Nobody else to hang around with anyways in this condition. Maybe one of the guys is going, You know, I've heard a lot about this Jesus. I've heard that he can just speak a word and heal people. Maybe we, ought to, maybe we ought to go. Maybe we'll be just fine once we get to the priest and we'll be healed. Whatever their conversation was like, we know one thing that transpired. That is, at some point along this walk, they started to look down at their hands. They were fine. They could move. They had some dexterity back. They started to look down at their feet. They started to look at each other and thought, Manny, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing here? We're better. So can you see them kind of start to walk a little slower and look at themselves? And then they start to walk a little faster. They're like, guys, Jesus has had mercy on us. We, we've, been, we've been healed. But one of these ten in particular did something different than the other nine. They were all going to show themselves to the priest so that they could be pronounced clean. But one of these people, verse 15 says, When he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. And that's really the second turning point in this story. When he saw that he had been healed. He paid attention to what had happened to him. And he was aware of what Jesus had done for him. And so instead of going and showing himself to the priest to be announced clean, he went back to the one who healed him. It says he was glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at the feet of Jesus and was giving thanks to Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. Interesting to note, isn't it? A foreigner, one that the Jews didn't like, was the one who noticed what God had done for him. And when he noticed what God had done for him, then he went back to God in flesh, Jesus himself. I said, Jesus, thank you. All ten were healed by Jesus. But only one of them noticed that he was healed. 
You see, the other nine, I don't think that they were trying to pass Jesus over. I don't think they disliked Jesus. I don't think they hated Jesus. In fact, I think that they realized there was something different about them. But they were just going through normal procedure. They didn't realize that God had broken through in their lives and done something supernatural to change them. Instead of going back to Jesus, they thought, we we still got to go to the priests. The priests are the ones who are going to tell us we're clean. But the Samaritans said, you guys go on. I don't need no priest. I got Jesus. He's my priest. He healed me and he cleansed me. He turns around, he goes back, and he glorifies the Lord, Jesus Christ, for what the Lord had done in his life. I think when we read through this story, we'd like to portray ourselves as this Samaritan in the passage, right? Kind of like we'd like to think of ourselves as the good Samaritan that Jesus told took care of the wounded man on the side of the road when the Levite and the priest wouldn't do so. But in reality... We're not like the one out of ten. We're like the nine out of ten a lot of times. At least I know I am. Instead of seeing God's providential hand at work, we chalk up a situation to coincidence. And when we do that, we don't go back to the Lord and thank Him and glorify Him for what He's done. We just go, oh, that's cool. That's neat. And we continue to go about our day. Normal procedure, regular routine. We don't realize what God has done for us. Because we don't see it. Say, Jake, how could could these people not see what Jesus had done? They were too focused on themselves. Too focused on how much better they looked. They were too focused on the Old Testament law. What the Old Testament law said. we got to go back to the priests so that they can pronounce us clean. They hadn't seen what Jesus had done for them as something Jesus had done for them. And this happens a lot in our lives as well. We don't realize or recognize what God is doing and has done in our lives. And because we don't see what God has done, we don't thank Him for what He's done. We think about how easy it is to pass through a day without telling God, thank you. I said, Jake, I, I would never do that. Just think of all the blessings we've gotten to enjoy this morning. And how many of those blessings, as we've enjoyed them, have we looked up to heaven and said, God, thank you that I had hot water to take a shower in this morning. God, thank you for those delicious cinnamon rolls that Vicki Mitchell cooks so well on Sunday mornings when we come to church. God, thank you for a warm cup of coffee. God, thank you for heat in the building when it's cold outside. God, thank you for the clothes I'm wearing. God, thank you for the family that I have. God, thank you for the couple days off from work that I get this week. God, thank you that I have a church family to come to and worship with and fellowship with. We don't. Because we don't pay attention. We don't look. We don't see what Jesus had done. The point of this story is that the one who sees 
What God has done is the one who is thankful to God for what he has done. And I wish I could get you to see what God has done. You say, Jake, man, I don't, I don't know. Thanksgiving's going to be here on Thursday. And man, there's a few things I can be thankful for. But it's going to be rough for me this week. You, you don't know. Maybe I could explain it to you like this. There's a man at a church here in town who during testimony service, every time without fail, would get up and take the microphone at some point in the service and say, I am thankful for my salvation. You know, first couple times, pretty cool. Thankful for my salvation. But every time in a testimony service, the same thing. I'm thankful for my salvation. What's been God been doing in your life lately? People started to ask. And every time he would continue to say, I'm thankful to God for my salvation. Here's why he was thankful. Because he'd seen what God had done in his life. And maybe I can help you see it. Because no matter what you're going through at this point in life, and no matter how difficult Thursday may be for you, or how wonderful Thursday may be for you, when the holiday comes around, Nothing changes what Jesus has done for you on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, stepped down out of heaven to show you the way. To provide you with life. To set you free by the truth. When you see that, you're thankful. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, left His Father's throne in heaven so that when He died on the cross for your sins and rose again, you could become a son or a daughter of the King. Is this not amazing to think about? Man, I wish I could help you see it. I do. I wish I could help you see how Jesus Christ became a curse for us. We who were sin-filled and evil-ridden and under the wrath of God, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I'd love for you to be able to see it. Jesus, the omnipotent, all-powerful God of the universe, chose to use his power to rescue and save sinners from an eternity in hell. This man saw what Jesus had done for him. And maybe the way that he saw it wasn't just with his eyes. In fact, Jesus clues us in to how this man and these other nine were healed. Jesus looks at this Samaritan man when he comes back down to thank him, falling on his face and praising Jesus. And Jesus says, the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And then Jesus said to this man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Some of your translations will say your faith has healed you. Some of your translations will say your faith has saved you. 
This man believed Jesus and he went to the priest and on his way to the priest he realized Jesus had healed him and he went back to Jesus and he turned around and thanked him. This man believed Jesus could heal him and Jesus would heal him. And what happened? Jesus healed him. You see, the tendency for us, this is really the third turning point in the story, the tendency for us is to look at cold, hard facts through the lenses of our evil hearts and our sin-filled minds. But the Lord asks us not to look with these eyes, but to see in faith. To look by faith, to live by faith, to act in faith. Manly Beasley, a preacher, defined faith this way. This is good, so hold on to this. Faith is believing God that it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it may be so, because God said it is so. You got that? Faith is believing God that it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it may be so, because God said it is so. Ever before, this man looked down and saw his healed hands and his cleansed body, he acted in faith on the word of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say to these guys? Go show yourselves to the priest. What did they do? They went. And Jesus said, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. If you don't have anything to be thankful for, it's because you haven't seen what God has done for you. And if you haven't seen what God has done for you, it's because you haven't believed what He's done for you. You don't have faith in Him and how He's working in your life right here and right now. Look, I know what this week is going to be like for some of you. You're going to be sitting around your dinner table. There's going to be a bunch of family and friends around there with you. It's supposed to be this wonderful time of celebration, but there's an empty chair at the table. Because that family member, that loved one, that friend isn't with you guys this year. Because they've died and gone to heaven to be with Jesus. And in that moment when you're there around the dinner table, it's going to be real easy to look at each other. And look at that empty seat and start crying. And to look at the facts with your own eyes but not see in faith that God has transported that sweet saint to be with Him in glory forever. Look, some of you aren't even going to get together around a dinner table with your friends and your family on Thursday. Because you can't get your friends and family together because they don't even want to see each other. 
It's even worse than Jews and Samaritans trying to live in the same village. And you're going to have pain in your heart. And you're going to have grudges that you've been holding on to that want to well up and ruin the holiday because they've been controlling your life. And you're going to see the cold hard facts over what somebody's done or said or not done or not said in the past. And you're going to be tempted in a real way in that moment to not be thankful to God for the love that He's shown you and the forgiveness that He's giving to you. Because you won't forgive so and so. It's going to be real hard for some of you. But it's not because God doesn't love you. And it's not because God isn't working in your life. And it's not because God hasn't done anything for you. It's because you've chosen not to see what God has done for you. Because you've chosen not to believe that He loves you and that He cares about you. I wonder what would happen if instead of us just looking forward to the next big, huge thing in life, if we would be thankful for all of the little blessings God is sharing with us and showing to us here and now. Yes, this might be bad. Yeah, that might not be good. But is God still good? All the time. And all the time, God is what? Good. We can be thankful when we see how He's working in our lives. And when we see what He's done for us. But we'll only see what He's done for us if we have faith enough to trust that He is good even when life doesn't seem great. The one who sees what God has done is the one who is thankful for what God has done. The one who is thankful for what God has done is the one who has faith that God is God. That He loves the people He's created. That He loves them so much so that He sent His one and only begotten Son to come to this earth and to die on the cross for the sins of mankind so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want to ask you this week to be thankful to the Lord, to see what He's done for you, and to see what He's doing in your life, to trust, have faith that He is a good God who loves you. Maybe here and now this morning, you realize that God has done so much for you, but you're not thankful. To him, you haven't thanked him, you haven't fallen at his feet and worshiped, glorifying him for the goodness and his mercies that he's lavished upon you. Maybe you just need to tell him thank you this morning. Maybe you're here and you've thought you don't have anything to be thankful about or thankful for because this part of life is horrible or that's going on or this hasn't happened. 
And maybe you've realized God still does love me. And here's the ways He has blessed me in my life. If nothing else, He sent His Son to die on the cross for me. How could I forget to realize what God has done? Maybe you just need to ask God to open the eyes of your heart to see what He's done for you and see what He's doing in your life so that you can be thankful to Him. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you have never trusted in a good God who loves you. You never expressed faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who's not just able to heal a leper physically, but who is able to save you from your sins. All it takes is for you to cry out to Him in faith and say, Jesus, I know you know me. I know you know what I've done. But I believe in what you've done for me. I believe that in spite of all the sin that's in my life, in spite of all the failures and mistakes, that you love me no matter what. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. Jesus, I want to ask you to have mercy on me. Jesus, would you save me? Would you heal me? Would you make me new? Jesus, I know that you promised you would in your word. Your word says, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Jesus, I ask you to save me this morning. Jesus, would you save me? Jesus, would you give me a new life? Maybe that's you here this morning. You stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As God has spoken to your heart today, I just invite you to respond to Him. Maybe you need to come and pray at this altar. Maybe you need to cry out to God from your pew. Maybe you need to come and talk with me. As God calls you this morning, would you come?